You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly. We're all about defeating bad decision making. We're back. It's part two. Jimmy Burgess, leader in the real estate industry, $1.35 billion in sales just last year. When you listen to part one, I know you learned a lot about Jimmy's story, how he rose from the ashes, found success in every area of his life and the decisions that he had to make to get there. Well, now we are going to talk in part two about the decisions from his point of expertise, the decision points in purchasing a second home. Uh, This is something I was really interested in as a financial advisor talking to clients about how to buy a second home, when to buy a second home, all the different components of it. If you've ever thought about it, if you've ever considered buying a second home, or if you know you're going to in the future, this is a fantastic episode. I know a lot about (laughs) buying second homes, and I learned something. So you're definitely going to learn something too. Let's get into it. One of the things that Sanger and I wanted to talk to you about is because of your expertise. I mean, uh, tell me how many brokers you have that you're you're working with. Right agents, uh, yeah, I've agents. got Excuse yeah, me. I've got um, right at two hundred twenty-five agents that I two hundred twenty-five agents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here here's somebody who obviously knows the industry, and, and you know, and you're you're dealing in a in a hot market uh, there in in in, in Florida. A lot of uh, second homes, a lot of uh, investment properties. As we talk with financial advisory, one of the things that comes up a lot is because as people get more affluence, they're you know they look to sort of buy more uh, either homes or vacation times or, or things like that. So it, it comes up a lot, and so I want to get your thoughts on this sort of second properties. When should somebody start looking, or when does it become appropriate in in terms of wealth or in terms of income or in terms of debt to income ratios? Well, I will say this, Sean, I think a lot of it should start with either you or Sanger, Um, you know, someone that knows the intimacy, intimately knows the financial situation um, for the clients. Um, A lot of times I will defer to um, whoever it is that they have managing their um, overall portfolios. Um, as far as there's some standard guidelines, but let me just say this, um, you got diversification is critically important. I mean, it should not, in my opinion, be something that it's everything you've got is in your second home. Obviously one of the things from a, just a standard, you know, ways that banks look at this and a way that can make a little sense is the same way that you qualified for your first home mortgage. It ought to be the same way if you take on a second. So let's think about that. Um, will this debt, come in line and be under the standard guidelines, 30% of your income for, for all of your outgoing cost. You know what I mean? Is this something, you know, is this something where you, we're extending you past a point where you should be? Um, and that's the first place I would start. Um, and you know, total, total, including your second home housing should be still below 30. See, here's the thing. Most banks or lenders, they're going to say the payment should not be 30, and then it should not be overall 55% with all Mm -hmm. of your debt. Me personally, I'm an extremely conservative person. After you, I went through what I went through. Um, I would say double down on that and make it all of those things are in that 30%. That's me personally. Listen, there are a lot of people that that. you know. 
but from a standpoint of being conservative, especially, um, you know, you, you have so many factors that come in. Uh, you're looking at things. I'm going to speak to second homes first. Okay. You're looking to a place in reality for a second home. Um, again, this comes back to, this isn't even about you. The majority of the clients that I have, when I'm asking them, you know, and they're like, I don't know, should I buy down here? And I say, well, it depends on what your goals are, but let me give you an example of what the majority of the people are doing that are purchasing second homes. If I ask you, what's your favorite childhood memory? It was probably a childhood memory with your family. It was probably at a coast or on a vacation. And so now the person who's at a place where they're thinking legacy, a second home is the gives you the ability for children and grandchildren or friends and family or coworkers or you know corporate employees to have a place where you can literally place yourself in that picture frame with them. So, you know, those are some of the ROI that you can't put a number on for a second home. Okay. A second home really becomes about, yes, there are financial decisions there. And I'm going to get more into that from an investment standpoint because I think every second home should have um, second home, it should have an investment mentality to be perfectly frank. Um, but it does give you that ability where you've got that. Um, let me, now let me speak to the investment side of it for me. And this is personally, and, and, and a lot of times this just depends, but if you're looking for an investment property, there's a couple things you should consider. First off, you want to make sure that you're at a place where you have the opportunity, whether you decide to use the home um, and where it doesn't give you that ability, but you have a place where it can basically cash flow at at least you know, a break even, but in most cases, you'd like for it to cash flow positive, okay? Now, I'm talking about this is a second home investment. So this is a beach home where you're going to use it with your family some and you're going to rent it, okay? Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, you know, there's some factors. A lot of people just look at the numbers. This is where I think getting your accountant involved and asking the accountant, okay, well, wait a minute. What's the impact of me being able to depreciate this asset? What's the opportunity for every time I go on a vacation down there for me to be able to write off those trips? And because my wife and I own the LLC that own the property, every time we go out to dinner, we're talking about our property or we're checking about our property. What are my tax advantages also that factor into this to get me to zero or positive? Okay. So it's not just the hey, I'm going to rent it for $100,000 and my expenses are $90,000 and I'm getting $10,000 cash flow. I think you need to factor everything in there. You need the full picture. Now, here's the second thing is when you're buying a coastal property or in most cases, whether it's in the mountains or in the coast or wherever it is, a second home investment, typically you're going to be in a place where we're going to look at your place. It's, it is not just an income play. If you're looking for an investment property that's just going to have a cap rate or it's just going to have investment, go buy an apartment building or go buy a commercial building, you know, in the right place right now. Be very careful. But, um, but if you're looking for something where you're going to use it with your family and it be an investment, we want it to basically at least break even. Um, and, and then what we want to do is, is this is a growth and income investment. This is not an income investment. It's not just a growth investment. It's both. So look at the factors that affect that. Okay. So for me, I'm going to give you an example. On our coastal market, if you go back to 1970, our average return is 5.8% growth. That's through the highs and the lows. So mm -hmm. I think that a second home investment property is not something that you're buying for three years. This needs to be something that has a longer term fix because listen, markets, as we know, can change and fluctuate very quickly. Um, but if you look at it over a 10 year period, there's never been a 10 year period where it looks like unless you just absolutely bought it the worst time. But if you've got the income right, and you've got the depreciation right, you're still okay as you go through those downturns in the, in the valuation. Think about it this way. Money is so cheap right now. This is why. We had a ton of it that was cash forever that was coming into our market. And part of the reason was 
is that they would spend a million dollars to buy their property, and they were shifting money from a CD investment or a treasury investment into this property. The property was going to give them three, three to four percent return on their cash, you know, basically on an annual basis. Plus, they had the cap, the chance for it to grow, and then they had the ROI of having their family have those family legacy memories there, and their a lot of cases employees or people they've gifted a week down there that they've written off, whatever it is they've utilized it for. If you're looking at it and now with as cheap as money is right now, as we're recording this in the 3% range, think about this. If somebody goes in and I'm going to be very conservative, let's say that they buy and just make my numbers easy. Cause I got that Walton County education, a million dollar place. And they put 20% down on this. So they put $200,000 down. They've got a, and then if they're cash flowing after all their expenses, let's just say they're breaking even. But let's say that over time they have three percent return, uh, you know, capital appreciation on the value of that. So in that case, on a million dollar place, that's thirty thousand dollars. Now, if you start factoring that in, they've had two hundred thousand cash. Their return on their cash on the growth side of it is fifteen percent. So all of a sudden, now as we look at this from a growth and income perspective, which I think you need to have both in there, and then we add the ROI of someone coming in there, this is when investment second homes begins to make a lot of sense. I know, Sean, I mean, I mean, Sean, how, I mean, you've had some second homes. I mean, what was the value of it to you? Not just the financial value. It, it, it's, it's funny. The, Sanger and I were talking about this the other day, and there was a point in my life where I had four homes all on lake. So there's like three second homes. If you want. So I was over homed. Uh, it, it, what I, I made the comment to somebody at one point that a, it, for me, it, the second home, what, what I was buying was freedom. I was, I was buying the ability to go there whenever I wanted, stay as long as I liked, leave whenever I wanted, uh, and, and have my stuff there, my experience there. And so I was buying an experience. I was buying freedom. And so that's why I was so curious about the financial aspect from your point of view, is that there are a lot of times we do things that are sort of not monetary. It was not a financial decision, but it was a different type of experience. In other words, trying to create that family experience or that legacy or buying the freedom or those those types of things. And so when when I look at the financial characteristics, and, and you mentioned there, you know, the 30% rush on debt, the cash flow, and you certainly want to take into consideration uh, depreciation and the flexibility for write-offs that can create additional deductions. And so all of those things course, factor into that ROI. The growth, of course, is in there as well. So one of the things that I look at for, for, for some clients who will, who will talk to me, they say, well, doesn't it just make sense for me to buy a timeshare? Or doesn't it just make sense for me to go to Airbnb uh, and, and rent a place for a week? And the response sometimes is, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably it would be more economical for you to just rent a place, but that's not the only factor. There are these other things that you that you spent time talking about. From your point of view, how do you, from the financial standpoint, how do you address the questions about uh, timeshare versus second home that's investment property? Those, those are very different but I get those questions a lot. 
Yeah, and you know, and there's been this adjustment too. Where I mean, to me, timeshare it's it's a situation where I would rather control my own timeshare um, instead of having something that I don't have a way to get out of in a lot of cases. Um, so, from a timeshare perspective, I think if you're looking at a timeshare from an investment standpoint, you're probably looking at it incorrectly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's mm -hmm. one of those where literally, especially now with Airbnb, if you're just wanting to rent a place. You can rent, you know, we have a lot of people that rent the same houses every week, the same week every year. So it becomes their house the 4th of July week or whatever for their family. You know, yeah. so I would say more so than that, just a straight rental is going to make sense in some of those cases. Um, the biggest thing, you touched on it. I mean, it, it really does become about that. You can't put an ROI on the peace of mind. I'll, I'll say this also, second homes that I've owned, um, there was a there was a piece that I could find in a second home that I couldn't find at my regular house. Um, yep, there was yep. a, there was a, um, there was a ounce of creativity um, that spawned things in my business that when I was at that place, it was almost like the second that I walked into that door, it was like all of a sudden I could go into a place where my mind just had the opportunity to get creative in a way that I couldn't other places. Um, I've never had that in a rental house, to be honest, no. I rented for a week, but when it was mine, you know, like I'll give you an example, um, you know, I, you know, and I've sent, I've sent you pictures. I've sent you where I'm coming across the lake over there and I'll see a sunset. Mm -hmm. and I'll just take a picture and send it to you. And like, man, I'm thinking about you, Sean. I wish you were here. Yeah. And you're like, I'm yeah. here. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, good. I'm glad you saw that. But there's those times where that ownership of that asset, um, it is not just the financial place of it. I think if you're buying a second home for just the numbers, um, the numbers can make sense. But yeah. I would encourage you to go deeper. And, and certainly the numbers need to make sense, right? They, they, ha they have to make sense. But there, there's a, uh, I remember the first time uh, on our place, you know, there, there in Florida, my sister came with me and we, and we, we were there just hanging out there for a week together. And she walked in and she started tearing up, just, you know, just in her eyes. I said, what's, what's wrong? She goes, I just, feel so relaxed. <laughs> this is so beautiful. Just, she just, it just all came pouring out of her literally just, you know, she just like, ah, oh, just, you know, you just, you know, just relaxed. And I, I know exactly what you're, uh, what you're talking about. The, how does someone make that decision to create an investment property versus a second home? Cause I think those are very different. I, I think there are, you know, some, sometimes people will buy a second home just, it's their family's second home. They would never let it, they would never rent it out. Right. And then sometimes people will buy just a pure investment property. It's they have no emotional attachment to it. It's that straddling, it's that blended property that that I, I think is is delicate right? in terms of how you think about it. It's it's unique. Do you what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it's this, it's another thing where everybody's different. You know, I mean, yeah. like, you know, for me, um, like with our second home, I didn't, I would have never wanted to rent it personally because it was almost felt like I was, you know, yeah. prostituting out what was mine, you know, and yeah. then, then there are times that I owned rental properties that were, that were not second homes, they were investments. And I would have never thought of spending the night in it, you know, um, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it does come down to the individual. I will say this uh, again, it goes back to why you guys are so valuable on the wealth management side. I believe it's critically important who you find on the advisor side as far as an agent. Um, you know, you again, you know, I can talk with people and get an idea of what their goals are. 
And once I know their goals, then I can factor everything in to make it make sense. If you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back on something also. So from a standpoint of that, I think Sean, everybody's different. You know, certain pe- there is a straddling there, and there are people that straddle very well. You know what I mean? I, I'm not one of them, to be honest. There's, uh, you know, there's certain people that can rent their house out and spend two weeks and be super excited because they see that they've cash flow positive and they're like, I'm winning anything out of pocket on the return on this investment. And that's a different mentality. Do you, do you so I suggest that people changes. figure that out before they buy the property? Um, I, that would be ideal. I will tell you what happens though, as we all know, mm-hmm. is that a lot of people will think it's one thing and it becomes something else with a second home slash right. investment. Right. So for instance, a lot of people that will come down and they will buy something. I probably have you know, in the last couple of years, dozens of clients that have bought and said, you know what, we're just going to rent it out a few times. We're going to let it pay for our taxes and insurance. We're going to just let it cover us. And they're like, so, hey, you guys are in town. I'd love to catch up. What's going on? It's like, well, I'd love to today, but I'm actually touching up paint from these renters. And by the way, we're not renting anymore. You know, and so it changes, you know, as, as their financial situation changes, a lot of times their priority on that. Or they're there with their family and they have a moment like what you're saying where there's that emotional time where you're just sitting in the living room catching up with everybody and you're like, man, I, this is our place. I don't want anybody else to have access to this, yeah. you know, this peaceful place. You want whatever it is that you want. Are you finding that people who buy properties where you are are people who have vacationed there, familiar with the area, or they're just coming in and saying, hey, I've heard it's hot. I just want to buy a second house here as an investment property. Uh, what what's sort of the familiarity with the neighborhoods and area before somebody comes in and makes an investment? The um, decision to buy has been sped up, but let me give you the typical buying process. And I think this probably affects everywhere um, that's that, where they're buying a second home. The typical for us is that they come the first time and they look around and they say, wow, I didn't even know this was here. Or this is an amazing place. Man, our family has more peace right now. Wow, this is the best week we've had in forever. This is an amazing place. They schedule their second trip. They come back the second time and they look at each other and they say, wow, we kind of love this place. Is this kind of our spot? You know, I don't really want to vacation anywhere else to speak of right now. And then they're like, well, could we own here? And then the third time back, they start looking around. Typically for us, the buying cycle is about the fourth or fifth time is when they buy. Now, now that gives us some clues, and this is where somebody that's watching certain things. For me, going through the downturn I went through, there are leading indicators in coastal markets or in resort markets that, that I like to watch. Not always, but it does give you an indication, okay, where is the market as far as my timing to buy? I'm going to use the example right now. So one of the things that I watch is, is our bed tax revenues. Most resort-style places have some type of bed tax. The bed tax is basically, that is that is the Tax that is paid on someone that stays seven days or less. Now, to understand the market, um, you have to understand. For us, if the if we have a funnel where people are coming in at the top, where they're either coming, there's new people coming, or they're coming more often, or rent prices are going up, that's where we can see if the if the bed tax revenues are going up, then we have a pretty good indication that about a year, two-year time period, we're in good shape because that's the top of the funnels continuing to be filled which means that people are still continuing to work themselves down to buying decisions on a percentage basis, if that makes sense. Over, over about a three-year time period. So if you're seeing that moving up, if, if you're seeing the bed tax rate trending positive, you know that about two, three years down the road, you're still fine in terms of the price valuations. 
or that the funnel's yeah. full also, not just the time frame, because it, it could be people coming for the first time to the top of there, or they could be coming two to three times, which is moving them down the funnel faster. So if gotcha. the revenues are going up, that means more people are here, whether they be people that are coming multiple times or new people. So we're continuing to see the funnel fill. So I'll give you an example. I watched this really closely. So I'm going to use Walton County for this right now where I am, which is basically 30A market. Um, and then slipping over into Miramar Beach. Our bed tax revenues, uh, you know, we used to have an off season. I mean, this year we, we don't have an off season. You got to understand, our, our typical months of June and July, we're going to be at 100% occupancy. There's no, I mean, so the numbers are not going to vary much on those summer months. We're going to, they're going to be pretty steady year over year. August, September, October, November, which they just reported for us. So basically for those four months this year, we were up 58% in the bed tax revenues year over year. Now, what that tells me is a couple things. Here's one oh. thing. Yes. Now, listen, it's not going to be 58% for the year because we're going to hit we're going to hit the time during the summer where it's going to be it's going to be flat because there's no more bed taxes to collect. Everything yeah, March was probably right. low. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, so let's say we shake out this year, year over year, that we shake out especially trailing 12 months is which I, what I watch, you know, it's not just the calendar. I'll try to watch the trailing 12 months. Let's say we shake out and then, and that we're end up in that 25 to 30% range, which is what we're going to be looking at on the bed tech side. This is the telltale sign for me. I have people that come in right now and it does sound high. Our average sales price in 2020 was up 16% on an average price per square foot year over year. But wow. now listen, but now think about this. If your average price went up 16%, but your potential for rental revenue went up, shaking out the year in the 30% range, mm -hmm. the person that thinks that it was priced too high right now, if you're really looking at it from an investment standpoint, what does my dollar get me? I've got the potential for more income than I had last year. So yes, I may pay more for that property now, but now listen, there's the flip side of it. If I go back to 2004 and 2005, as we begin to see that, all of a sudden I begin to see a rounding off of the rental revenue that came in through the bed tax revenue. When that begins to come and round off, that was where we saw in 2005, the rounding off of the market dropped back about 5%. As we begin to see that drop, it literally in 2005 was what we saw in 2006. So I, I watched that very closely. Now, listen, as we know, it's never a perfect formula. But if you're telling me that we've got 58% more revenue coming in, which means we've got that many more people either here or that are spending money here, they're working themselves to a place where all of a sudden financially it's going to make sense for them to consider buying. That's the health of the market that I'm watching. I, I really had not ever looked at this factor that you're talking about in terms of bed rate trend versus market price trend and what that was going to do. But that, so that's, that's really interesting. Historically speaking, if you look back at our bed tax revenues, um, if I see that, on average, we've been running around six to eight percent increases in our on average over since 2000 um, on our bed tax revenues. That's that is literally right in line with the median price improvement that we've seen in our market. So it is an indicator that it, although it's not perfect, it does it does give us the ability. So if I'm somebody out there and is considering an investment property, I want to know what's the health, especially if I'm depending on rentals, you know, for my income. A, on a short-term basis in a lot of these resort markets. What does that look like? What are the trends there? Because that's kind of the, that's the almost the, um, the foretell of what's to come on the sales side. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's fascinating. How, how often are people 
coming to you with the idea of purchasing an investment property and they, they've never even heard this? Um, it, it changed this year, Sanger. Um, you know, what changed this year was, is as Florida was open and other areas were not, we had people that had never visited here. Um, you know, mm. and so what yeah. happened is, is people began to search for places. I literally got off a phone call. You understand, um, before we had the airport in our area, I'm going to use this as an example. Um, we had a six hour driving destination. We were the number two driving destination behind Orlando in the state of Florida. And the Southeast lived here in the off season, basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. And during the summer. And then what happens is, is all of a sudden the access of the airport opened it up to other markets. Well, what's happened for us now is I was on a phone call with somebody from Connecticut, literally before, right before we got on this, that said, Hey, we're at a place where, you know, we're thinking about just moving our kids um, you know, we've been holed up in Connecticut now for a year. Um, we we kind of believe that, you know, typically when government takes something away, they don't give it back as easily as they take it away. Um, and so we're concerned about what does that look like in the future? Um, and we want some flexibility and we love what's happening as far as y'all have been open down in Florida. And so they are literally coming from Connecticut. Y'all got to understand, I mean, for 20 years of my career, my 27 year career, I never sold anything outside of, you know, Baton Rouge, up through Memphis, around Augusta. Everybody <laughs> maybe, has- maybe Atlanta. Maybe that's about as far as it went. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a that's another factor to look at uh, is airport accessibility. So that's yeah. That and is- amenities and the underlying amenities that are in place. Sean, when I, I'm going to speak to this because you've you've come here to this area. I'm going to use this example. I would look at any area you're looking at, whether it's here or somewhere else. What are the what has changed? So now. You know, we used to be, it was just the beach. Well, now people are coming for the music scene that we have here. People are coming here because the influence of being able to go to a world-class restaurant, whether it be Emeralds or or Tim Crehan's, these world-class chefs, they've got the ability to have amenities we never had here. They have entertainment for the kids. We have the amenities and the access to, so focus on the amenities and what has grown there. Accessibility. What is, you know, what is the lifestyle that renters are going to look for? Are they going to, they want access to as many amenities as possible. So find those areas where those amenities have begun to change. And almost always you're going to see the trend change for where renters then go, which then leads to where investment goes. Hey, Jimmy, this, this has been fantastic. And I appreciate you uh, sharing just not only your technical knowledge, but your enthusiasm about growth and decision-making help defeat bad decision making and I think you've done I think you've done that so how can how can people find you Jimmy yeah you know the best I mean if you google me because I do a lot of stuff for agents um, especially if they just go on YouTube and google Jimmy Burgess or you go to um, Facebook and look up Jimmy Burgess you can find me there Um, the best way though um, to find properties if you'll just go in and do Jimmy Burgess um, Beach Properties of Florida um, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Beach Properties of Florida it's probably gonna pop up my website and uh, I'll get you guys the contact info as far as phone numbers and email addresses. But listen, if there's any way I can be a resource for anybody, I'd love to do it. Yeah, we will We will put all of that on the show notes uh, on the uh, website, and uh, we'll have every, everything you need right there. Thank you for everything. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Jimmy. Hey, if you, if you enjoyed the conversation, and I hope you did, give us five stars on iTunes. It really does help other people find our program and help other people with their decision-making. Uh, Remember to like us on Facebook and social media, Instagram. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you soon. 
Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.